Hello and welcome to another episode of the LO Gaming Podcast. My name is James and today I'm joined by nobody. That's right, no good buddies, just me. But don't worry, this isn't going to be the norm. They will be back, but because of that, it means this is going to be a shorter episode than normal. But depending on who you are, that might be a good thing. But <laughs> with that out of the way, let's get started. So after the reveal of the PS5, PlayStation has more or less taken over the conversation. And with all the hype in their corner, it's left many of us to wonder how will Xbox respond? After the May 7th gameplay reveal, Xbox had lost a lot of momentum, and it was pretty clear the people at PlayStation were taking notes. They showed a number of exclusive games that will be on the console, and it's kind of put Xbox on the spot. Xbox has said they're going to be holding a reveal event sometime in July, and the focus will be on their first-party exclusive games. And aside from the price of the console... When you really think about it, this is probably the most important reveal in Xbox's history. Because after how this past generation went, it's fair to say they have a lot to prove. It's been a well-known fact that the Xbox One suffered from a lack of first-party exclusives. You could argue it's one of the biggest reasons they were unable to stay competitive with the PS4. And, of course... Xbox knows if they want any chance of winning the next generation, they need to bring the games. Right now, Xbox is all about marketing the most powerful console ever created, but if we're being honest, there's always a new most powerful console at the start of every generation, right? So it got me thinking, is it really that important to be the most powerful console of any given generation compared to the quality of the content of what you're playing? Well, all you have to do is look to Nintendo for that answer, because I'm pretty sure they might have something to say about that. But the reality is, it doesn't matter how powerful or feature-rich the Series X is, if there's no games to play or if the games are bad, no one will buy it. So I'm really glad Xbox is about to start focusing on the games, because... It's time they really show us what the Xbox Series X can do. Currently, there's only one game confirmed for the July event, and that's Halo Infinite. And it's a safe bet they'll show off the next Forza Motorsport, and I guarantee you Minecraft will show up in some form or another. It always does. But what else can we expect? For Xbox, this really boils down to two categories. A, returning franchises, and B, new IP. And by new IP, I'm talking about new games, new intellectual properties, uh, specifically new games produced by Xbox Studios. And both categories give us plenty to be excited about. But I would argue there is reason to be cautiously optimistic. So this isn't going to be me making a bunch of predictions of what I think Xbox will do or what games may be shown. I do have things I would love to see, but this is going to be more about some observations I've had concerning Xbox and how they've managed their first-party exclusives. So I'm going to start with returning franchises. And this is where Xbox is in a great position for success, because they own a number of what I consider to be prestigious game franchises. When I'm talking to a gamer and mention the word Halo... 
I guarantee you, despite age or if they even played it or not, they know what I'm talking about. And there's titles like Fable, Gears of War, Forza Motorsport, and Crackdown. These titles hold a lot of nostalgia for many players, but these are just the most recognizable titles in the Xbox library. And if you were to dig through that library, you'd be surprised by how many titles that have just fallen by the wayside. Games like Perfect Dark, Banjo-Kazooie, Fable, Crimson Skies, and Viva Pinata. Now, except for Fable, all of the, all of the games I just mentioned have been laying dormant for over 10 years. But the point I'm trying to make is there's a number of classic titles that would be ripe for reimagining on the Series X. A good example from the Xbox One is Killer Instinct, a fighting game developed back in the 90s by Rare when they had a partnership with a partnership with Nintendo. It wasn't as big as Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat, but it built up and maintained a solid cult following. So when the Xbox One rolled around, they decided to revive the franchise, and it was a success. Fans loved it, and it still has a healthy player base today. And that's what's so exciting about Xbox. It's the mystery of it all. What forgotten gems could they bring to the table? But unfortunately, Killer Instinct is just one of the few instances where Xbox got it right. So now it's time to look at the other side of the coin. Remember how I said I was cautiously optimistic? Well, you're probably going to disagree with me on this opinion, and that's perfectly fine. We can agree to disagree. But I'm of the opinion that over the span of this generation, Xbox has struggled to leverage and grow their franchises almost to the detriment of their reputation as game developers. Now, I can't stress this enough. I don't mean that as a knock against Xbox. It's just my personal opinion. I'm about good games, not console loyalty. I love Xbox, and I think the competition they provide to PlayStation is massively important. It's good for the industry and good for us as consumers. But you only have to look back to the 360, the Xbox 360, when they released Perfect Dark Zero and Banjo-Kazooie, Nuts and Bolts, to see why I think Xbox has trouble managing their franchises. So, as I was doing research for this recording, I found that of all the big titles Xbox owns, Halo, the Forza series, Gears of War, and Crackdown are the only titles to have sequels released on the Xbox One. And yes, I do know Undead Labs released State of Decay 2, but I'm not counting that game because they released it before the studio was acquired by Microsoft. So, like it or not, that's my reasoning, but... What am I getting at? Well, it all has to do with how these games were received by fans, and it... Well, we'll start with Halo. Without a doubt, Halo is the most important franchise in Xbox's range of titles. If there was no Halo, Xbox would simply not be here. So, it was very important for Halo's first appearance on the Xbox One to be as perfect as possible. And it almost was. Halo the Master Chief Collection was the franchise's first appearance on the new hardware. On paper, it was going to be awesome. All of the mainline Halo games from Combat Evolved to Halo 4 in one package. And to top it all off, it included a, a remaster of Halo 2. And the plan was to release Halo ODST later down the line. 
The individual campaigns worked as expected across all the games, but the multiplayer was a buggy mess. Matchmaking was never was never really right. It was near impossible to get a game. And when you did find a game, it was after waiting for ages and connectivity was awful. To 343 Studios credit, though, they stuck with the game and after a long struggle, they fixed the problems. But it wasn't a great debut for the franchise. After a few years, we come to Halo 5. It was a critical success. But amongst hardcore Halo fans, Halo 5 is considered by most to be their least favorite Halo game. Though the game played well, fans felt the marketing was misleading. The story was heavily criticized, and most everyone disliked the new character, Locke, which fans felt they were trying to replace Master Chief with. But the multiplayer did work right from the start and was well-received by the majority of fans, which ended up being the game's saving grace. But overall, most fans I talked to, they were very put off by the game. And then there's Crackdown 3. Fans of the franchise were asking for a new installment in the series for a good long time, and when they announced the game with the original creator working on it, everyone was thrilled. But this game was stuck in development purgatory for years. It was shown off way too early and kept on getting delayed over and over, and when it finally released, many of the promised features were missing and ended up being a big disappointment to fans. Now we come to Fable Legends. And this presents the strongest case for what I'm uh, I'm talking about. Now, some of you are thinking, Fable? There wasn't a Fable game on Xbox One. And you'd be correct, because it was canceled. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the series, Fable was an action RPG developed by Lionhead Studios for the original Xbox. The player experience hinged around a morality mechanic where you could forge your own story as an epic hero or an epic villain. It was so popular, Xbox decided they would buy Linehead Studios to secure the game as an exclusive and bring on a talented developer to add to their roster. The game had two sequels, and both games in the series built upon the morality system that was the staple of the series. So naturally, when the Xbox One rolled around, fans were hoping for a bigger, larger Fable game especially since the last game in the franchise up to that point was an on-rails shooter for the Kinect. Yeah, remember the Kinect camera? Let that sink in. Well, here comes E3 2014, and they show Fable Legends, and it turns out to be a one-versus-four asymmetric multiplayer game. This announcement was confusing for most fans. This wasn't the Fable they were expecting or asking for, But to be fair, the game was intended to be viewed as a standalone entry, but it still left fans very disappointed. But disappointment quickly turned to anger when Xbox announced the game would take on a free-to-play business model, and we all know what that means. Some gave the developers the benefit of the doubt and participated in two betas, but overall, fans didn't like the new direction, and after two more years of development... The game was canceled, and sadly, Lionhead Studios was shut down at the same time. So, after hearing the examples I've presented, you can understand why I'm a little nervous when it comes to Xbox's ability to manage their most iconic franchises. But not everything turned out bad. In the same year as the Fable Legends announcement, 
Xbox announced that they had purchased the rights to the Gears of War franchise from Epic Games. They took one of their existing studios, Black Tusk, and renamed them The Coalition, thus creating the Gears of War studio. This produced two sequels, Gears of War 4 and Gears 5. Both were received warmly by fans and critics, and today they're growing the franchise by taking it in new directions with an XCOM-like strategy game, Gears of Tactics, and Gears Pop. But there is one franchise that has stayed steady throughout the entire lifespan of the Xbox One, and that is the Forza series of games. In my opinion, Forza Motorsport carried the Xbox and represented the platform the best. They were consistently great, and you could see a progressive improvement with each successive game. And then they grew the series by launching the same, uh, the well, the more arcade-focused spin-off, Forza Horizon, and that was developed by Playground Games. And this is a rare instance where Xbox produced a new game that was popular enough to spawn its own series. And that leads me right into the second part of the discussion, and that's new IP. What new games could be announced at the July event? Now, I love seeing new games, new ideas that have never been seen before. I I love it when the first trailer drops and you have no idea what you're going to see. I mean, trailers really are an art unto themselves. The game or movie can be horrible, but the trailer could be amazing. But unlike movies, game trailers, you can get a pretty good idea of how good or bad a game may be when it's released. But but yeah, I'm, I'm getting off track. Uh, yeah, uh, new games. <laughs> what new games could we see on the Xbox Series X? So I think we have more reason to be excited for fresh new Xbox games than ever before. But unfortunately, throughout the Xbox One's lifespan, they've struggled even more to produce their own new and lasting IP. Now, I don't view this as a negative, but more as a missing piece. New ideas are hard to come by, especially when you're trying to establish a game as a franchise that can carry across generations. You need these kinds of games in order to build a stronger foundation for your platform, and they haven't been very successful in this regard. But you can't say it's not for a lack of trying. Whether they were developed by Xbox themselves or a third-party studio, Xbox has a list of games that, despite their quality, they just didn't garner enough interest for them to stick around. Let's see if you remember these titles. Quantum Break by Remedy Entertainment. Sunset Overdrive by Insomniac Games. Project Spark, developed by Team Dakota. They're a uh, development group within Xbox. Recore by Concept and Armature Studio, and most noteworthy, in my opinion, is the cancelled game Scalebound, which was being developed by Platinum Games. In the case of Quantum Break and Sunset Overdrive, Xbox partnered with these developers in hopes of bringing fresh new titles to the Xbox family. I don't know if you remember, but Quantum Break was meant to be this large franchise that was supposed to be a cross-media experiment combining the game with a kind of live action TV show. And they even went as far as to hire like mainstream mainstream actors to actually play the live action and in-game roles. And then there was Sunset Overdrive and it was the Insomniac's attempt at giving Xbox a 3D action platformer, which honestly Xbox has been trying to get 
a franchise and the 3D action platformer for, well, ever since the Xbox was created. Uh, but just never really been able to get one established. But yeah, but even though both Quantum Break and uh, Sunset Overdrive were positive, positively received due to some outside circumstances and lack of fan interest, it wasn't enough for Xbox to continue on with these franchises. And when it came to Scalebound's cancellation, according to the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, the game wasn't coming along as nicely as they hoped. So whether it was the right decision or not, they canceled the project. But sadly, this isn't anything new. As far back as the original Xbox, it seemed to me that Microsoft always struggled to create new IP from within. And by that, I mean new new franchises that were created by internal Xbox teams. The The truth of it all is Xbox's most iconic games became Xbox exclusives when Microsoft purchased the studio or when they purchased the game rights from a developer. Now, before you get mad, let me point out some examples. Halo Combat Evolved, it was developed by Bungie and was meant to be a game for Macintosh computers. It actually was revealed by Steve Jobs at the Macworld conference in 1999. Microsoft saw the game and wisely scooped it up for the Xbox. Fable was developed by Lionhead Studios. Up to that point, Lionhead was primarily a PC developer until they signed a publishing deal with Microsoft. It was after Fable's success when Microsoft purchased the studio. Gears of War was made by Epic Games and was exclusive to the Xbox 360 because of the publishing deal they signed with Microsoft. And it was a similar deal with the Crackdown franchise as well. But my point being is none of these games were actually created by the studios during a time when they were under Xbox ownership. Another example... Rare was purchased by Microsoft in order to make new games for the original Xbox. Their most successful attempt was Viva Pinata, which had a sequel and even appeared on the Nintendo DS. But soon after, they sadly ended up being relegated to making Kinect games. Rare did eventually bring Sea of Thieves to the Xbox One, but it was met with mixed reviews. Bungie only made Halo games before it regained its independence, and they left the Halo franchise behind as part of the deal. Lionhead dabbled in some experimental software, but didn't do anything of note outside of the Fable franchise. And again, I'm not saying these things as a knock against Xbox. PlayStation started the same way too. Take Naughty Dog, for instance. They made their names on several Crash Bandicoot games, but after PlayStation purchased the studio, the Crash Bandicoot license didn't come with them since the title was owned by Universal Interactive. So, what did they do? Well, they made games like Jack and Daxter, Uncharted, and The Last of Us. Games that have had a huge impact on building the PlayStation brand. Sadly, Xbox Game Studios has yet to match PlayStation's creative output and quality. Currently, there's only one Xbox studio that has made that kind of impact on the Xbox platform, and once again, we come to Turn 10 with the Forza Motorsport series. Turn 10 was put together by Microsoft just for the purpose of creating a Gran Turismo competitor, and it succeeded massively. Forza Motorsport is now cemented as a staple of the Xbox brand and was successful enough to spawn its own spinoff series, Forza Horizon, which we've already mentioned. 
Now, again, it's important to remember the era in which these developers were making games. Xbox used to be far more controlling with their studios, and you could argue they didn't nurture the best creative environments for their teams to thrive. One thing I observed was the simple fact that when a studio was bought for a specific game, Xbox automatically designated that studio as that team makes game A, and that team makes game B. I can only imagine how stifling that must be knowing that this is the only game you're ever going to work on. It was one of the reasons why Bungie bought back their independence. They wanted to make Destiny, but Microsoft wasn't really interested in supporting that idea, I guess. It would have been a massive undertaking, but can you imagine if Destiny became an Xbox exclusive? I mean, that would have been a game changer. That's all that can be said about that. But... We also need to remember that PlayStation is technically an entire generation older than Xbox and has had a bit longer to sort out their first-party studio situation. Also, consoles were a Japanese thing. The surge of the Western games industry is still fairly young uh, compared to some of the oldest Japanese studios. So PlayStation had the benefit of being surrounded by a hotbed of game designer talent and, most importantly, experience. But as negative as I may sound, I've got a feeling that a massive renaissance of games is just on the horizon for the Series X, and it largely has to do with better leadership and new talent. So currently, there are 14 studios that make up the core of Xbox Game Studios, technically 15, but that 15th uh, studio is basically the Xbox Studios publishing uh, label, but two of which were recently founded and seven other companies that were acquired in the past two years. And these developers are just your av they're just not your average indie studios. Each one of the seven studios are founded or staffed by developers who have worked on or have created some of the best games ever made. And I think you may recognize some of these names. We'll start with the Ninja Theory. The studio specializes in strong narrative driven games. They first made a splash on PlayStation 3 with Heavenly Sword, but are mostly known for their last release, Hellblade, Sinuous Sacrifice. They're actually one of the few developers who are confirmed to be working on a Series X game, a sequel to Hellblade called Sinuous Saga. Then you have Obsidian Entertainment. They just recently released The Outer Worlds and are staffed by some of the most seasoned developers in the industry. They go as far back as the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 and Fallout of New Vegas. They're currently working on the survival game Grounded for Xbox One, but you can probably expect a Series X upgrade at some point. Double Fine Productions. Now, when Xbox announced they had purchased Double Fine, I had never felt the sensation of being disappointed and happy at the same time. I was disappointed because there are they gave up their independence and are now under a larger corporation. But I was also happy because they deserve every opportunity to succeed that comes their way. And being under Microsoft, well, that allows them to just explore all the possibilities of whatever game they want to do without fear of, you know, trying to find funding. But yeah, I love Double Fine games, if if you can't tell. I think they're one of the most creative developers in the game industry today. And currently they're working 
to finish Psychonauts 2, so I'm eager. I'm I'm very excited for that one. But (laughs) moving on. Playground Games, they were contracted to develop the Forza Horizon series, and after three successful games, it really made sense that they would be brought into the Xbox family. Interestingly enough, though, they have been rumored to be reviving the Fable franchise, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, We have Compulsion Games, another developer much like Ninja Theory who produced mature, narrative-driven experiences. Their last release was We Happy Few in 2018 and are most likely working on a new title for this Series X right now. So we may actually see their game at the July event. In Exile Entertainment, a company led by Brian Fargo, uh, he, he founded a publishing company called Interplay. And they are responsible for some of the most iconic PC games of the 90s, like Bowder's Gate, Icewind Dale, Wasteland, and the original Fallout. Uh, they plan to release Wasteland 3 sometime later this year, I think. Undead Labs, the creators of the State of Decay franchise. Right now, they are pretty busy actively supporting State of Decay 2 on Xbox One, but it's pretty safe to say they could be working on a Series X version of the game. And then there's the two new studios that were founded. You have World's Edge, a studio built to work on the Age of Empires franchise. This will most likely be a PC studio, but you never know. With mouse and keyboard support on Xbox One, I think it may carry over to the Series X as well. And if that happens, that would allow real-time strategy games like Age of Empires to finally be ported to console in the way that they're supposed to be played, (laughs) with mouse and keyboard. But now we come to the initiative. Now, this is the studio that intrigues me the most, because no one outside of Xbox really knows what they're working on. They've been hiring game design veterans from all over the industry, developers who have worked with Activision, Crystal Dynamics, Square Enix, Insomniac Games, Respawn, Rockstar, and Sony Santa Monica. Xbox says the initiative was put together in order to make quadruple A titles, but who knows what that means. I mean, really. All I can figure is that whatever they're working on, it has to be big. Like, really, really big. And I and I can't wait to find out what it is. So, as you can tell, there's a lot to be optimistic about, but there is one obstacle that stands in the way. And that is time. Most of the studios mentioned are either tied up or are finishing games that were built for the current generation. And the ones that aren't haven't had much time to work on the new hardware, if not just for uh, a couple of years. So the question becomes, when can we expect Xbox's investment to pay off? So far, Ninja Theory is the only new developer to have shown anything for the Series X, so we may see more from them. But what about the others? Well, thankfully, July is just right around the corner, so maybe we'll find out sooner than we think. So, Maybe hard to tell, but I'm fairly excited to hear about what Xbox has been working on. And I think they're primed to make a big comeback with the Series X. I'm confident we'll see old classic games make a comeback, but I'm even more eager to see what new IP will be revealed for the system. And with a monster of a machine like the Series X, I'm sure everything we see is going to look far better than anything we could have imagined. I mean, that thing is 
beastly. But all that power comes with a cost, and I'm wondering if they'll be bold enough to reveal the price of the Series X in July. Personally, I don't think they will. I'm pretty sure the memory of being undercut by PlayStation has been seared into their minds, and understandably, they have no desire to be put in that position again. And from recent comments from both PlayStation and Xbox on offering the right value to consumers, well, that doesn't scream $399 to me. So I'm expecting the sticker price to be rather high, and neither company wants to be the first to drop a price tag so heavy it would fall through the floor. <laughs> but a strong showing of games at the July reveal could go a long way in showing the value that Xbox is trying to convey, and I'm sure the company knows this. But what I think is going to make the biggest difference is the fact that they have the right leadership in place for this launch. Phil Spencer and the team he's built is the reason why Xbox has been able to bounce back after a rough start. They changed the image of the Xbox One from being an all-in-one service box to being purely gamer-first, and I simply can't imagine them making the same mistakes as they did back in 2013. So with the right leadership, a large library of classic titles to pull from, and being stacked with developer talent, I think it's clear the Xbox Series X is well set up to take the crown in the next generation. But it's not going to be easy. PlayStation has plenty of lessons learned from their past mistakes, and despite having a disadvantage in power, they do have the franchises and game developers that more than even the playing field. Meaning, we're in for the hottest console war in ages. I mean, I haven't felt this kind of heat since the Nintendo vs. Sega era of the 90s, and it's exciting. This could be the tightest console race ever. But then there's Nintendo. But that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> well, those are my thoughts on the future Xbox July reveal and the state of the Xbox platform in general. If you're still here listening to this, I guess I didn't bore you to death. So a big thank you for sticking around. And next time I promise I'll have a good buddy or two here so we can return to our normal conversational style. So once again, my name is James and this has been the LO Gaming Podcast.